wanted to name something that might be in the room, may or may not be in this room, um, and it's uh, the pain uh, and atrocity over the last few weeks in our world, over the last several weeks in our world. Um, and some people feel this pain more than other people, to be quite honest. Um, I believe this pain is still in the room for all of us. Some of us really feel it, like a lot, and um, others feel it um, a little bit and are, have different ways of coping or maybe different ways of processing. Now, I, I know, like I, I personally know, uh, that people have left the faith uh, actually very recently uh, because they can't make sense of all the pain in our world. They just can't make sense of all the stuff going on in our world and what's going on in their personal life. And I know that that, that feeling is felt in a room uh, of this size. Um, now, I can't solve it, and I, I hope to address some of it today. I'm gonna address it probably a little bit um, adjacently. I won't directly head-on address it, but I think this series is gonna address some of this pain and some of this longing and some of the stuff that we've been dealing with, but from a different angle. So I'd like to start by praying. Um, so if you would, if you would close your eyes, uh, if you are willing and open, just open your hands uh, in a posture of like receiving our bodies kind of lining up, hopefully with where our heart, our spirit is, our mind just open to God to receive what God has. Lord, as we come today before you, we come to church and um, now hear uh, a teaching from the scriptures. We pray that our minds and our hearts would be open to, to this series, especially to this like uh, learning to let go-ness of life. I pray that it might strike us differently from a different place we weren't, might, might not be expecting and that we would leave today free. I pray for freedom. Pray for the chains that um, that bind us, the, the, the problems that loop over and over in our head, the torture that we bring ourselves through sometimes when we have to make a decision or we don't understand something. I pray there'd be freedom today and there'd be the healing balm of your spirit. You'd come and speak a new language to us today. You would come and set our hearts on fire in a different way today. You, Holy Spirit, would fall. I submit my capacities to you and ask that you would lead me as I lead in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Over the last few weeks, I've had the chance to sit down and listen and process and listen and process and listen again and process a few different times the new Kendrick Lamar album, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. I don't know if you've heard this album yet. I just wanna, I wanna say that I'm, I'm trying to tread lightly here and be cautious because I usually get in trouble when I do things like this, when I talk about rap or something uh, in the church. Um, I usually get a few angry emails and people don't like me. But, so I wanna tread lightly. I wanna say that this is a, a heavy album, a very heavy album, and I don't think I can recommend it unless you either really want to listen to art and culture, like you wanna immerse yourself in the art form of this album, or you're like really into rap. If you're like, I listen to all the rap, so then I recommend this album to you. I also got to sit very recently in a dark, dark theater with a giant tub of popcorn with some good friends and watch the new movie Top Gun Maverick. This movie is so good, people. Anyone see this yet? Okay. Especially if you're like Gen X, if you were like, like young when this, the first one came out, you're freaking out right now. 
And as I sat with both of these recent pieces of entertainment, uh, art, culture, summer fun, whatever you want to call it, I picked up on a theme that I believe is true of humanity from like top to bottom, a theme that is unavoidable, something that is true if you're a parent, if you're in a relationship, if you've ever left your hometown, if you've ever had your heart broken or been deeply hurt by another person. It's true of you if you ever want to mature in life, and it's especially true if you don't want to age into someone who's bitter and full of resentment. And this true part of life and being human is learning to let go. If you're Kendrick Lamar, this is encapsulated in the opening line in the first song of the album called United in Grief. And the song starts hauntingly. And the song and the album begins with instrumental and then someone singing in a very haunted voice, I hope you find some peace of mind in this lifetime. It's like haunts you. And sets the, the tone of the entire album. And then you get the voice of his partner, his wife, saying to Kendrick, to us, to all of us, tell them, tell them the truth. And then again, back to the voice, I hope you find paradise in this lifetime. And then she's tell them, tell them, tell them your, and then it, the album kicks in and Kendrick Lamar begins with, I've been going through something. That frames the album. Kendrick is, throughout the album, learning to let go of his inherited, rough exterior that tells men, especially black men, that they have to just keep their stuff together. That this stigma of getting therapy, of doing tough inner work, is not for them. And over and over again, throughout the first part of the album, the album is in two parts, his partner keeps telling him he needs therapy to confront his past and his demons, but he keeps saying that he doesn't want therapy or that he says everybody needs therapy, which is just another way of saying no one needs therapy. Then he finally, by the end of the album, the entire album, he finally lets go. He finally lets go of trying to hold his life together and trying to bury his pain, and he lets go of his abusers, and he forgives. And by the end of the album, the second to the last song of the album, which is basically the conclusion of the album, and I have a theory of the last song of the album, but I won't do that here. I'll do that maybe I've never, but I don't know. I have, I have my own theory. <laughs> Where the album kind of officially ends is that he says, Kendrick Lamar screams that he, I set free all of you abusers. This is transformation, he yells. And then it goes right back into the instrumental, the way the album started, just like the opening. And then his partner begins to speak again, and she says, you did it. You broke the generational curse. Say thank you. And then his little baby says, thank you, daddy. Thank you, mommy, because she's done the work too. And I listen to the album, I cry every time. At that point, I cry every time. Now this album is dark, very, very dark, just like all real therapy is dark, just like dealing with your crap is dark, just like letting, learning to let go is dark, it's all dark. So again, listen with extreme caution. But then there's Top Gun. <laughs> and this movie is basically, and I'm not giving too much away here at all, I promise. So you don't have to close your ears, I'm not giving, not giving too much away. But if you need to close your ears, you can and miss the whole entire part of the sermon. That's cool. Um, just joking. 
This movie is basically Maverick, which is, you know, obviously Tom, Tom Cruise, letting go of his grief that is manifesting in an overprotectiveness of someone in the film that may or may not be related to his old flying partner, Goose. I'm not gonna say anything more than that. It's also about said person who may or may not be related to Goose, learning to let go of overthinking and overanalyzing in his own resentment of the past. It's just a, a movie about letting go, learning to let go, all wrapped in 80s nostalgia, pure fun. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Now, this theme, this truth of letting go so that you can receive the new, the next, is such a crucial part of life from top to bottom. Learning to let go is ultimately what being a parent is about. It's, being, it's what being in a relationship is about. It has to do with your career. It has to do with being a Raptor in Compton or an F-18 fighter pilot. It's like true of all of life. And I don't know where you're at or how you walked in here this morning, but there's a good chance there's something that you have to let go of. Something you're holding on to that's keeping you from what's next, that's keeping you from moving on, that's keeping you from receiving the new. This is the backdrop to Pentecost. Today is Pentecost Sunday. This is the day that we celebrate that we celebrate God's spirit coming upon those first disciples in the upper room. And as they, just as Jesus told them to, as they waited, the spirit of God descends and he comes with fire and power and witness and gifts and new language to spread the message of Jesus. But this moment here, this moment of like the Pentecost happening, the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples doesn't happen in a vacuum. The Holy Spirit just doesn't fall out of nowhere. It doesn't come after, it, it actually comes after a few other very important moments that you, you can't miss. We can't just do Pentecost in a vacuum. It actually follows a series of moments and we named these movements and moments a few weeks ago here on Sunday and we called it the Paschal Mystery. The Paschal Mystery. From the life and the teachings of Jesus we learn there are five clear and distinct moments of change from death, Good Friday, to Pentecost. There's five moments, a cycle, a flow, and these aren't just one-time events. These are a mystery that keep happening in our lives over and over and over again. And to the degree that we get and understand and allow us, allow God to bring us through these, this cycle, to that same degree, we'll grow. To that same degree, we'll be renewed and receive the new that God has for us. And the cycle looks like this. We said there's Good Friday, which is the loss. There's Easter Sunday, which is new life, and we typically move on after this. If we were honest, Easter Sunday happened, we can move on, but no, there's more. Actually, a very important more. There's the 40 days that Jesus spent with his disciples, which is readjustment to the new and grieving the old. This readjustment in their life of like, oh, Jesus died and then rose again, how do I readjust to this new reality of who the Messiah really is? And there's ascension, there's this letting go this you have, Jesus says, and we'll get to this in a second, Mary, don't cling to me. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. There's this thing where Jesus even says, don't hold on to this version of me. You have to let go if you want to make space and room for the Spirit. So let go. So there's this letting go, and then there's Pentecost receiving the new. The question that I wanna sit in over this next series, 
The question I'm framing this entire Pentecost series around is, are there things that we have to let go of in order to receive the new? Is there an, an ascension and Pentecost that needs to happen in our lives to receive what God has for us? What needs to be let go of? What has to ascend with gratitude and mystery in order to open our hands for the newness that the Spirit brings? I mean, this is, if I was just to speak personally for a second, here's the problem as I see it. I see this quite a bit. This actually gets me a little bit passionate and fired up and sometimes um, I'll raise my voice with my wife, not at her, but with her when I'm talking about this, about other people in the church or friends or something. I've seen people cling to the old. I see people cling to old dogmatic ideas of God, of this is the way I think God should be. I've seen people hang on to old dreams or expectations that lead them into bitterness and abandonment. They walk away from relationships or they walk away from church, or they walk away from God or they walk away from work or they walk away from San Francisco. Their old dreams or their old expectations, they don't want to die so they hold on to them and it leads them to bitterness. When the real answer, the real solution is the Pascal mystery. It's letting go, learning to go, I let go of that to receive the new that God has. We have to learn to let go in order to fully receive that, that the new that God is doing in our lives. This is what Jesus was doing during his 40 days. He was meeting with and provoking his disciples to let go that they might receive the Spirit. This is best captured by Mary's interaction with the resurrected Christ. When Mary goes to the tomb and she finds the tomb is empty, then she sees someone who she thinks is the gardener and then Jesus says Mary's name and then she recognizes Jesus when, she says, when he says her name and she grabs onto Jesus and then Jesus says this very, very famous line which is pregnant with meaning. He says, don't cling to me for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. There's things during this like 40 days that Jesus is trying to break off from his disciples' expectations of who they thought he would be, and he's saying, don't cling, let go, let go, let go. This is the 40 days. This is what he's doing. He's, re he's confronting them with the new, telling them to let go of the old, and then fully allowing himself to be released by them so he can ascend to the Father so that the Spirit can come. This is all the mystery. This is what Jesus is doing. So I guess the question is, what do we need to let go of? What is the first thing that I, that I wanna talk about this morning of what we have to let go of? Well, I wanna deal with um, the first thing that we find Jesus confronting some disciples of, of, uh, with, with them having to let go. The first thing that Jesus kinda like deals with post-resurrection. After he raises from the dead, he goes after a couple of people because of this. We'll read it in a second. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, verse 13 might be a very familiar passage to you, and if it is, that's wonderful. That's a really good thing. If, if you're reading the Bible and you're like, oh, I know this story, that's a great thing. Let me read to you again. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. This is after resurrection. Now that same day, two of them, that same day meaning on Easter Sunday, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they walked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came, came up. <laughs> this is so funny. And he walked along with them. 
They're like, can you imagine? Can you believe? They killed him. And they're just walking away. But they had heard that Jesus was alive, but they're still walking away, which is strange. And then Jesus shows up right next to them. And Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were, they, they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? What are you guys talking about? What's up? And they stood still, their faces downcast. So they were physically depressed. They were physically downcast. They were physically, like, sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the very things that have happened in these days? And Jesus is like, he's just baiting them. Like, well, what, what things? Tell me more. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And here's a line. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. You would think the next question would be, why in the world are you walking away from all of that then? Now in this text, we meet two disciples of Jesus who were walking away from Jerusalem toward the village of Emmaus, some seven miles away on Easter, the very first Easter, where some people in their friend group said they saw Jesus raised from the dead. As they were walking, they're discussing with each other how Jesus, who had been crucified just two days early in Jer Jerusalem, how all these events were like unfolding. And as they were conversing, Jesus approaches them on the road, just super casually, strolls up and is like, what's up? Now at this point, they don't recognize Jesus, and we'll get, to, we'll get to why in a second. But he asks them why they're so discouraged. Why are you so downhearted? Why are you walking away? Why are you walking away? He could see that their body language and their tone on their faces was super sad, and they responded by saying, don't you know, where have you been? Which is funny, because Jesus technically has been dead the last few days, so, I mean, there's that. Have, don't you know what's happened the last three days? And Jesus plays curious, he asks, he asks what, what, what happened? I don't, I don't know. And the answer by saying that Jesus, a prophet of God, who they thought to be the Messiah, who was powerful in word and deed, he was handed over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. And when he died, their hope in him died as well. And this verse in verse 24, chapter 24, verse 21, continues to haunt me to this day. It's always haunted me every single time I read this section of scripture but we had hoped. See, what they are saying is that their faith and hope in Jesus is now in the past tense. We used to believe in him. We used to have hope in Jesus. We had hope. We no longer have hope. And why? Why don't they have hope anymore? Why are they walking away? And the answer is because there were certain, they were certain that Jesus was the Messiah. And because he was the Messiah, they were certain that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem and take his place as king and savior, the one to redeem Israel from their bondage and the one who would rule, who would finally rule with truth and justice and shalom. 
Basically, they had expectations of what God and flesh would do. If you were really the Messiah, if you were really who you said you were, life would turn out like this. Here is how I think national politics should go if you are really the Messiah. Here's how I think oppression would be stamped out if you were really the Messiah. Here's how I think the, the governments would rule. Here's how I think life would go. They had expectations. This is what it means that, that was the, you were the Messiah. This is what it means that Jesus was the Messiah. If you're the Messiah, then you would make these things right. This is what they had hoped. This is what they were following Jesus for. But then Friday happens, Good Friday happens, the cross happens, the gory, bloody, traumatizing cross happens. And the thing is, Jesus, on the cross, while going to the cross, even though he's powerful to calm the storms, he didn't even fight back. Jesus went to the cross, saying nothing, taking every single punch and every single whip, and they mocked him, and they put a crown of thorns on his head, and they said to Jesus, Hail, King of the Jews, in complete mockery. When these disciples saw the suffering of the Messiah, when they saw, listen, when they saw suffering, when they saw the way he just gave into the cross, they lost their hope. They were certain that God's Messiah wouldn't act this way. There is no way in the world the Messiah could just stand by as these evil people were doing this to the Messiah. There's no way I can believe a God like that. There's no way I can believe in a Messiah that way. They had expectations of what God does and how God does it. Now, if I were to choose a story from the Bible to answer the question, what does it feel like right now, the last like eight years of being a Christian? What does it feel like to be a Christian in our world today? What's gonna be written about the followers of Jesus in this time, 20 years from now, I would say it's best depicted by this story here on the road to Emmaus. I would choose this text. It would be the disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, away from Jerusalem, away from the center of God's activity, without hope, deeply discouraged, their once firm faith shattered. I believe this is the situation for many of us here this morning. I believe this is a situation for the people who aren't in this room here this morning because they have lost hope in God. Your faith is shattered for a number of reasons. You may have lost faith in humanity after a global pandemic, a racial reckoning, a war, mass shootings. I don't blame you. You may have lost faith in our political system. You may have lost faith in a loved one. You may have lost faith in one of your leaders. You may have lost faith in your marriage. You may have lost faith in your own willpower and you're coming to grips with how powerless you are to even change yourself. You may have lost faith in the way you thought your life was going to go when you planned the whole thing out when you were in your early 20s. Or you may have just lost faith in Jesus. You're still around the church, kind of. You might be online or kind of pop it in the back of the church or like, you might even be serving on the prayer team. You're just like, you kind of lost your faith in Jesus but you're trying to like rekindle it, you're trying to stay as close as you can but you know you're kind of halfway in, halfway out because you had hope in Jesus for what Jesus was going to do in your life and you thought he was going to do these things a few years ago or when you were a teenager and that hope is now kind of like crumbling and falling apart. 
I think all of us can find a reason to say with these disciples, we had hoped. Now, I'm kind of pointing out the obvious here, but these two people were walking on the road discouraged, their faith shattered, hopeless, but they were walking with Jesus. And they were talking with Jesus. There is a beautiful, mysterious irony right there. We don't know if we have hope in Jesus anymore, and they're telling this to Jesus. There's irony there. There's beautiful irony there. They were just unable to recognize Jesus. Now, here's a, a good question. Why were they unable to recognize Jesus? Was Jesus wearing, like, you know, a nose and mustache and glasses? Which would have been awesome, by the way. If I was to redo this, I just would have him wear, like, a deep fake, you know, wig or something like that. But why were they unable to recognize him? Well, first off, Jesus walks up to them casually, subtly. I mean, they just don't expect this. This is unexpected. If Jesus really rose from the dead, he'd just like been, bam, popping out with like glowing, probably transfiguration clothes. It would be just superhuman. But that's not what happens. Jesus walks along a dusty road with them, not overwhelming them, not with beaming white clothes, not with trumpets, not with angels. And then Jesus comes asking questions. Jesus always comes asking questions. Why are you so downcast? Then he plays naive and has them, listen, this is what he does. He has them explain to him their interpretation of the crucifixion. Jesus asks them, what happened in these days? What is he asking? What happened? when the Messiah, when this Jesus went to the cross, what happened? And they give their interpretation of what happened. This is key as to why they can't recognize Jesus. Jesus says, give me your interpretation of the events that happened that caused you to lose hope. How did you see it? Please let Jesus ask you this question right now. Think about it. I mean, this is such a good question. Jesus asks the best questions. How did you see it play out? How did you see your life going? Please give me your interpretation. Jesus asking you, how did you see your marriage going? Please give me your interpretation. How did you see your faith going? Please give me your interpretation. How did you see this world going? global events going. Please give me your interpretation. Give me your interpretation of the event that crushed your heart and your spirit. And our answer might be something like, well, this is what I expected. This is what I had hoped. This is why I can't trust anyone anymore. This is why I have lost faith in men or in women. This is why I have lost faith in the church. This is why I have lost faith in God. See, these disciples did their version of this. They had hoped that Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel and the world. But he was dead, and that's the end of our hope. We had expectations. What, the way we saw this all going was this, but he died, and it didn't end the way I thought it was gonna end. And what does Jesus say to them? Well, look at verses 25 through 27. He says, how foolish you are being and how slow you are to believe. 
Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Notice, don't you see that there's suffering and then glory? Suffering, suffering wasn't a part of their paradigm. I guarantee you, when you made your college plans to go to university, when you made your marriage plans, when you're mapping out your marriage and pre-counts and marriage counseling, when you're mapping out your move to San Francisco, you never factored in suffering. I bet when you made your list, you're like, and then I'm going to suffer a lot. <laughs> and then through suffering, I'm going, to grow, I'm going to grow a lot too. No one does that. We always factor out suffering. No, no, no. There's no, su- there's no suffering in this plan at all. It's just glory to glory. Someone, come on, right? Glory to, this is the Bible, everybody. Jesus is like, you foolish person. You're so slow to believe. It's suffer and then glory. Suffer and then glory. And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You know what Jesus was doing to these two people? Jesus is disillusioning them. Disillusioning. If you've ever thought, I'm I'm so disillusioned by the church, I'm so disillusioned by God, that is so good. Your illusions need to be shattered. Being disillusioned means to be freed or being freed from an illusion. Their thought and expectations of what they thought the Messiah was going to do was an illusion, it wasn't reality. The way they saw their life going, the way they saw the Messiah going was an illusion, and Jesus was there to shatter the illusion. That's what Jesus was doing. He was freeing them from the illusion of their expectations, their false hopes that were pinned on the Messiah that was going to beat up who they wanted him to beat up. And this is what they had to let go of. This is why Jesus is on the road with them, and he is saying to them, let go of the illusion, let go of the illusion. This is why this is like one of the first stories after the resurrection. All, this is supposed to teach us something about Jesus. We think Jesus is one way. We think, oh, I think I know what Jesus is. I know what Jesus would do here. And then he shatters our illusion. This is why this is the very first story after the resurrection. What if the resurrection of Jesus and the time he spent with the disciples before his ascension was really about disillusionment? about Jesus showing up, and he does this over and over and over again, he just shows up to people. He says, shalom. And they're like, oh, what, what? Don't be afraid. I'm here to disillusion you. You think it's one way, it's not that way, it's this way. He does this over and over again. This is who I really am. You can let go of the illusion now. And this is the choice, by the way. When we are hit with disillusionment, we have a choice. Do we hold on to the illusion and consequently grow in resentment and bitterness and anger and sulking and ultimately our own misery? Or do we let go of the illusion? I remember a few years into my marriage vows to Ashley, into my vows, because that's what marriage is. It's holding on to vows with one person for as long as you both shall live. That's my marriage talk, by the way. Done. I remember a few years into my marriage vows to Ashley where disillusionment set in. 
I had this realization that she wasn't perfect and I couldn't bend this person to the way I wanted my life to go. That she was her own flawed person. That she wasn't the person to fulfill all of my dreams and wants and desires and passion. Because that's an illusion. No one person can hold all of that. Not even 50 people can hold all of that. At that moment, and I remember being faced with this moment, I could either choose to be bitter and resent her, to daydream about making the wrong marriage choice. By the way, she had her own version of this with me several times over for all of our marriage. I could do that, I can grow in resentment, I can go, man, I think I've married the wrong person, I think, I think this, this per- I wish she was like this, I wish, and I can just hold on and I get bitter and I can resent her, and by the way, I've gone through versions of this, obviously, because that's how I, I can name the feelings. And I can choose to live in that and grow and grow in more and more resentment, or I could choose to let go of the illusion and embrace the person Ashley was, embrace our messy life together and allow my expectations and illusions of who I thought Ashley was and the marriage we were going to have, I I had to let that ascend so that I can receive the spirit of what we indeed did have. That could never happen if I held on to the illusion. This is why a lot of marriages get stuck. They hold on to the illusion of what we wanted to happen. This is why friendships get stuck. I thought you were this kind of person and you're not this kind of person. And instead of letting go and receiving the person for who they are, mess and all, we decide to like grow in resentment and hang that over them and want to destroy them sometimes. This is Cain and Abel, by the way. Right now, we are in the midst of a post-ish pandemic. I don't know if you can say post-pandemic, maybe endemic, whatever you call it now. There is a way that church went pre-pandemic. There is a way that this church went pre-pandemic. There is a way that we did community and Sundays. There was a kind of momentum in the room. There was a difference. There was a different, it was different. Now, this is real time, things I've had to face in my own life. I could resent where the church is now. And like, it wasn't like pre-pandemic. The city wasn't like it was pre-pandemic. Oh, pre-pandemic, it was just so, and sometimes it's romanticizing, sometimes it's like, you you forget all the hard parts and you just think about the dreamy parts. And we can do that, and maybe you have done that. Maybe that's why your friends have left, or that's why you're thinking about leaving, and I get it, I 100% get it. It's not like it was. We can choose to resent what it is now by holding on and not letting go of what it was, or we can choose to let go of what it was and just say thank you for what it was. That was really cool, the way that that church was back there in 2011 in the Swedish American Hall. Oh man, that was it. I do that a lot, by the way. Um, That was it, two services, you know, 300 people. That was the life. Or right before pandemic, if we do that, we'll never see the beauty of what's happening now. 
You'll never receive the spirit of what's happening right now, the beauty of what's happening right now, the diversity of age and all the other things that are happening right now, the things the spirit's doing right now. We will not be able to receive the new if we're hanging on to the resentment of the old. We have to let go. For some of us, we have to let go of the God of our expectations and our illusions in order to recognize the God who actually walks beside us like Jesus is walking next to these two people on the road to Emmaus. We can't recognize God in our midst because we think God looks differently. Does that make sense? That's why they didn't recognize him. No, you can't be him because this is what him looks like. You don't look like that. You can't possibly be him. And it wasn't until the end where he sits down with the meal and he breaks bread and he rehearses communion that their eyes are open. They're like, oh my gosh, you're Jesus. And then he disappears, which is awesome. Just like, and he vanishes in thin air. Which says a lot about our post-resurrection bodies, by the way. I cannot wait for this to happen. Just (laughs) ghosting is real, like for Jesus, like ghosting. We can't see, you might be upside down and you can't really see God because you're looking for him to look a certain way and he doesn't look that way. What do you need to let go of? Now, this might be scary for some people. Like, hey, if I let go of this, then what do I grab onto? And the answer is trust in the person of Jesus. Trust not in, and this is, I probably, no, I shouldn't say this because it might open up a can of words. I won't say it. I'll just say trust in the person of Jesus. Trust in the person of Jesus. Jesus is a person. He's not a creed. He's a person. Hang on to him in trust. Now, I'm gonna trust that Pentecost might happen a little bit today. I'm gonna trust that the Spirit fills in the gaps of what I'm saying what I'd like to do right now is I like to do this in real time. I'd like to invite the, 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 the band to come back up and we're just gonna, we're gonna um, move into a, a, a song where we're gonna, we're gonna make this song a prayer. We're gonna sing it kind of repetitively over and over again and then through this time, uh, David and I are gonna be up here and we're just gonna be stewarding and pastoring uh, a time of response. And so um, we're not gonna open communion right now. We'll open communion after the song. But, um, but I'm not gonna ask you to stand. I'm gonna ask you to sit because if you want to stand, you can. Or if you wanna come forward and kneel, you can. Communion is not open yet. But I just want us to close our eyes and open up our hands. Sometimes the best way to lead into something like this is just Singing. And letting the imagination of the Spirit do his work. Bringing things to mind. Groaning and uttering with, with wordless groans inside of us where we are like, I don't even know the language to that, but I know it. And so, Lord, we open up our hands to you now. And would you bring by the power of your spirit to mind the things that we need to let go of, the things that we need to hold on to? Do that right now as we enter into a time of ministry. Your spirit is welcome here. Come Holy Spirit, may there be a, a kind of Pentecost happening in this room right now where we receive your spirit.
We want to receive.